Another week means another episode, and we have some more questions, some more bets, and lots more hoops on Screaming from the Sidelines. What is happening? I am pumped for this episode. We had a huge weekend last week because we had a 5 for 5 Friday. That's right. All five of my Friday bets on the NBA landed. The basketball gods were finally kind to me. And shout out to my good friend Jack who took my Twitter thread and moved it to a parlay, which I thought was insane given my early season track record and it being well below where I wanted it to be. But the LA Lakers missing three threes in the final seconds was just what we needed for the Sacramento Kings to cover the spread. It was a beautiful night. And a big return on investment for Mr. Creelman. But to be fair, it's also a reminder that betting can come down to the smallest of details. So please bet wisely and only wager what you can afford to lose. But a big cash out Friday. And a good way to start the weekend. I had a blast up at a family wedding. So excited to see everybody and welcome our newest cousin into the family but enough of that let's get into basketball last week we did five questions for the pacific division in the western conference and now we're going to do five questions for a division in the eastern conference and i actually decided the one i wanted to do right now was the central because they sort of have the top of the top and the bottom of the bottom so that's the bucks cavaliers pacers pistons and bowls that we will be going over and let's just get right into it and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks probably playing the most championship level basketball out of any team thus far into the season despite some early injuries they look like the most dominant team thus far 14 of their 17 players from last year are back which was the highest retention rate in the league over the offseason they have the best field goal percentage defense, the best assist defense. They are only allowing 20.7 assists per game, which is the fewest in the league. And when I discussed the Sacramento Kings last week and said how a more disruptive defense will get them in the mix for a playoff spot, well, the Bucks are a model for disrupting other teams' flow. As for their offense, it's actually nothing all that special right now, despite having one of the best, if not the best player in the world. Right now, they're scoring below the league average. They score more on the road than at home. And they have the 29th-ranked field goal percentage, 23rd-ranked three-point percentage, and they are still 10-3. and three. So when it comes to asking a question for this team that already looks so good, well, keep in mind they still don't have their second-best player playing right now in Chris Middleton. So... The question I have to ask for the Milwaukee Bucks is, will Chris Middleton's return give them a top 10 offense? His career regular season scoring average is 20.1 points per game. He turns it over less than three times per game. He should provide another option for scoring down the stretch. Shot over 40% from three in two of the past three seasons. So Chris Middleton obviously is a premier defender. That is what has made this roster and this team very successful and among the top of the NBA for the past four or five years now. 
But don't underestimate what he can bring to the offense. And the only other note I have on this team right now is that Giannis setting the ball out of bounds in the final minute of the game so that his brother could get on the court was so wholesome. I just have to give a big shout out to Giannis right there for that one. Such a lovable superstar. But Milwaukee, there's not a ton to say right now other than they've started the season about as good as they can. Chris Middleton coming back should only help them. But will his return give them a top 10 offense in addition to their stifling defense? Let's move over to another potential powerhouse here in the Central Division. That is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They lost their opener won eight straight, and then have cooled off with four straight losses. Darius Garland was sensational the other night and almost led the Cavs to a comeback win against the Timberwolves. He had 51 points and no Donovan Mitchell by his side. But despite all the excitement this team has brought, my question, if you're concerning Cleveland, is are they too backcourt dependent in crunch time? I was reading an article about this, and the concern is they're not using their size advantage despite having some of those pieces. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley were combined 14 for 23 versus the Warriors and 14 for 21 versus the Kings. Both of those marks over 60%, but they weren't really getting used a lot down the stretch. It was very Mitchell Garland dependent. Now, Mobley is shooting over 57% from the floor in 12 games, and Jared Allen's right behind him at 55%. These two big men are young and continuing to improve. Evan Mobley is just 21, but Jared Allen is only 24, and a lot of people forget that because it feels like he already had a start to his career with the Brooklyn Nets and that he's been in the league for a few years. No, he's only 24 years old. And what I have to say about the crunch time question is, yes, you want your best players getting the ball when it matters most, but that doesn't mean that you can't use your size advantages and get them the ball inside for easy, high-percentage looks. It's still early in the season, and the Cavaliers have adjusted so nicely to this new personnel. Donovan Mitchell is fantastic, but I've got an eye on how they handle their next few crunch time situations and whether or not they try to use their big men a little bit more than they have been. Cleveland, 8-5. and five, I believe they are a surefire playoff team. I believe they can win big games because they have shown it, but they are not perfect. Still early in the season. No overreactions necessary. Let's move to a team that I'm actually quite excited about, and I think it's hilarious that I'm saying that out loud because I'm talking about the Indiana Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton is so spectacular. He is first in assists per game, 10.3. That's almost a full assist ahead of the next guy, Chris Paul. He is eighth in steals per game. He's scoring almost 22 points a game. I was reading an article that discussed his instincts for blocking low passes in transition defense and stopping fast breaks that way, which is really hard to do but he's making great use of that six foot eight wingspan of his it's not just him buddy healed is making over four three-pointers per game which is currently good for third in the league now let's talk about the rookie of course benedict matherin has been electric off the bench 
scored 30 last week versus the Nuggets. He is second in rookie points per game at 19.9. First in rookie three-point percentage, 45.3, which is crazy since his total field goal percentage is nearly identical at 45.6. I was reading another fun piece on The Ringer. It was a Q&A with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. And the rookie said this, A player like Ty, he is really good with the ball in his hands, so I don't need to have the ball as much in my hands. I'm trying to do the stuff, cutting, and just the other stuff, just so we can be great on the court together. He wants to be playing with Tyrese Halliburton, and a lot of people, when they get into the league, they want to get the ball right away. After all, he was a big playmaker last year at the University of Arizona and helped get them to the Sweet 16. Big reason why he was the number six pick in the draft. But let's back it up a little bit because both Halliburton and Matherin had similar two-year college experiences in terms of how their roles changed. In their first year, they were more secondary options who played off the ball. And then it wasn't until their sophomore year that they were the main playmaker. So, This kind of territory for Matherin in particular, it's not new, and he's really excited about it. The Pacers, all of a sudden, a young team with a bright future, and even one of their more veteran players by this point, Miles Turner, uh, let's look at some of his numbers. 17.9 points per game. That's a career high. 8.7 rebounds per game. That's a career high. 3.1 blocks per game. Probably not sustainable, but it's damn impressive. And... One and a half assists per game. So at the time of prepping for this show, Indiana had the second best scoring average in the league, only behind Boston. However, they also have the fifth most points allowed on average. So the defense is a little bit of a question mark. However, they are exciting. They are, yes, I'm going to say it, fun. And they can fill it up. And it's in big thanks to this true blossoming second-year star in Halliburton, a Miles Turner with a chip on his shoulder, Buddy Heald, still a starting caliber player in the NBA, and of course the rookie coming off the bench who people would like to think should be a starter soon enough. My question for Indiana is how far can this something to prove attitude of theirs take this team over the next few seasons so normally i don't like bringing up questions like this where you extrapolate over a large period of time and don't account for trades injuries new rookie classes and other major factors but i'm posing this one here because most of us didn't expect the pacers to be podcast conversation worthy at this point in the season, yet here we are. And on top of that, their roster is comprised of people who have felt overlooked or, at the very least, not as highly valued as they should have been. Halliburton, Matherin, Chris Duarte is another fun guy. Miles Turner has been in trade rumors for like five years now. He's still making it work in Indiana. So I don't believe that they are a team right now that can win a playoff series. But if they keep this group together and you have a backcourt of Matherin and Halliburton, Miles Turner continues to develop, or if you do trade him, 
you get a solid offensive big man or maybe another rim protector as a veteran, I think this team could be very much for real. I don't think it's right now, but it's worth asking because attitude sometimes plays a role. And I think that the version of an attitude-filled team in the NBA right now that is probably a more realistic contender would be the Memphis Grizzlies. They feel like they're young, they're up and coming, it's their time. Things didn't go their way in the playoffs last year. Their best player got injured mid-series, but nobody wants to stop them. And if you want to get through the West, you got to get through them. Could that be what we're seeing with a team like the Pacers in the East a couple years from now? Let's move to a team with not a lot of optimism currently, the Detroit Pistons. So the upsides on this team are that Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham look like NBA caliber players, and young talent takes time to develop. So it's not a complete lost cause. But the downsides, well, first of all, the injuries have been going around like a carousel. You're 3-12, and and despite having a defensive coach, you've got the worst-ranked defense in the entire league. Uh, the further downsides, they can't shoot. Only two players in the rotation shoot above 40% from three-point, and they get the fifth most wide-open threes per game in the NBA. But do they convert on those opportunities? Well, no, they're just 22nd in wide-open three-point percentage. So for the purposes of wide-open and objectifying it, uh, it's defined in the article I was reading as no defender within six feet, which is a lot of feet, especially when you look at the amount of room that some of these guys in the NBA need to get a shot off that has a decent chance of going in. To top it all off, their margin of victory is minus 10.1, easily the worst in the league, and they're one of the few teams that has a losing record both in real life and against the spread. So I didn't really know what to do to talk about the Pistons. Of the five teams to discuss, this was the hardest one to brainstorm material on. The only question I really have is, do you trade for a shooter before the trade deadline or brick for Vic? That's been the slogan of tanking for hopefully the number one pick, which is pretty much almost certainly going to Victor Wembenyama. And if you keep missing your wide open shots, you got a pretty decent chance at getting this guy part of your franchise. But you don't want young talent, most of these guys who are used to winning all their lives, to get antsy early in their career and not even have a chance to compete in games. Yeah, sure, maybe the Pistons aren't going anywhere this season, but you'd like to think that they could at least compete in games, despite what the record may say. So it's kind of a fine line to walk here. If I'm a Pistons fan, I'm thinking, let's brick for Vic, even if it's not number one pick guaranteed because I'm so sick of what I'm seeing. But if I'm somebody who covers the team or I'm a family member of one of the players or somebody that has a little bit of a closer connection, you want to see growth in positive ways and setting some of these young players up for opportunities for success. You want them to be set up to grow and learn so you're not just waiting around until next July for a draft, uh, and a little bit earlier than that for a lottery, which may or may not go in your favor. 
that's the Detroit Pistons. Let's go to the last team in the Central Division, the Chicago Bulls. It seemed a little up and down early on, but the concerns are now starting to grow after suffering a humiliating loss to the Nuggets at home on Sunday. They've lost four of their last five games now. Billy Donovan released his frustration after that game when asked if he thought his team played with low energy. He said, Energy's a choice. You can't play off of feelings because feelings come and go. You've got to eliminate feelings and choose to do things. We have a choice with what kind of energy we play with. Circumstance cannot impact or affect our energy. We've got to choose energy. That's all it is. It is a choice. Zach Levine also said they looked worse in that game than they did in the game before and said you can't have a showing like that at home. It's upsetting. Zach Levine last year was an all-star. He is someone who has been very successful, a great shooter for this Bulls team. And with the kind of success they were having early in the season last year, Zach Levine doesn't want to go backwards. He was already here in Chicago when things weren't going well yet. And some of the stats, they don't look that good for Chicago right now. They are 28th in three-point attempt rate. They are 20th in e-field goal percentage. They are 20th in offensive rebounding. They are 22nd in protecting the ball. And their efficiency field goal percentage defense ranks 22nd, allowing 54.3% by opponents. I know I just threw a lot of nerdy numbers at you. That's code for these marks are below playoff team caliber. Finally, they rank just 18th in assists with 24.2 per game. So the elephant in the room here is they don't have their starting point guard. Their do-it-all passer vision defensive point guard in Lonzo Ball. But I got to say this, and it's going to bring me to my question. By the time Lonzo Ball returns... Will it be too late for the Bulls to save their season? So they're 6-8 and eight right now. I'm not saying at this present moment they're in danger. But Lonzo Ball won't be back for at least a couple of months. And by then, will the Bulls' problems have gotten even worse? Last year, they were 22-13 and 13 with Ball in the lineup. They were much worse without him. He also is someone who has struggled to play large chunks of a season. So as nice as it is to have him around, if he's going to continue this injury carousel, does that make it so you got to go find other backup options and not just rely on having Lonzo Ball? Things change quickly in pro sports. And while some of us were feeling optimistic on the Bulls after their 5-5 start without their point guard, the sentiment is a lot different now. So again, it's not that right now this is the time to press the panic button. Maybe they will have a great rebound tomorrow when they play in New Orleans. They get New Orleans on a back-to-back, and that's an opportunity to silence some of that noise. But when your star player is speaking out, talking about embarrassment, when your head coach is expressing extreme frustration... Those are never good signs, and we know things can go downhill quickly if we see this lack of energy continue in Chicago. So there it is, my five questions for the Central Division. 
For the Milwaukee Bucks, will Chris Middleton's return give them a top 10 offense? For the Cleveland Cavaliers, are they too backcourt dependent in crunch time? For the Indiana Pacers, how far can their something-to-prove attitude take them over the next few seasons? For the Pistons, trade for a shooter before the trade deadline or continue to brick at the hopes of getting Vic. And for the Chicago Bulls, by the time Lonzo Ball returns, will it be too late to save their season? That's going to wrap it up for the Central Division, but we still have a little bit of bets and trends to get to. And the first thing I want to say when it comes to betting is I can give you all the advice. I can give you all the stats. I can give you my personal experience. I can give you a fun little quote that I overheard. Okay, I spend a lot of time doing random things on my computer, compiling notes so I can make these episodes nice and fun. So I like to give you the goods, but check the freaking injury reports, okay? A lot of these games, they don't release them till a couple hours before. A lot of times people are questionable. It's not like the NFL where you're moving on a weekly cycle and it's like, oh, you got to worry about Thursday, I guess, and maybe you got to worry about Monday. And then there's like the occasional Saturday game when college football's over. But the NBA, we're talking like every single day, Check the injury reports. Sometimes I'll give you a spread. I'll give you a line. And then it comes out a couple hours later that so-and-so is not going to play or that so-and-so is going to play. So, again, I'm just saying that to help you. It's a lesson I've had to learn myself. A big mistake I made early on in the year was betting the Heat to cover the spread at home against the Kings. The Kings were without De'Aaron Fox. And then about an hour later, it was announced that Jimmy Butler would be sitting out because it was a back-to-back, and he had some soreness. So, just my kind little tip for you. Uh, Another thing that I wanted to share, and I put this out on Twitter too, I've been feeling like betting on over-under totals was a real toss-up, and not exactly my favorite thing when I attach myself to those bets, and it feels so random. I went looking for more information, and it turns out that of the 202 games played, at the time of looking at this, it was literally an even split. 101 totals have gone over and 101 totals have gone under. I just wanted to share that. If any of you are experiencing some of the same feelings, I talked to my good friend's older brother last week and he asked me what I thought of over-unders and that's actually what inspired me to go look up this stat. So yes, certain teams... You can lean under with them. Certain teams, you can lean over. Boston's a good example, especially when they're playing at home. If the total is anything under 230, I usually like to bet the over. But it's by no means a universal law. It is, in fact, literally designed to go 50-50. And right now, Vegas is just grinning at all the money that they are taking in from people like us. So some of the spreads could change for tomorrow, but Wednesday has a lot of big games. And I'll tweet out some specific bets tomorrow when we have more information. But I did want to give you some straight-up winners and general thoughts right now. One big game tomorrow is the Warriors going to Phoenix to play the Suns. And the Suns have been very successful at home this year. They're 5-2 and two against the spread when they are a home favorite so when they win they're winning comfortably 
But right now, they've become more vulnerable without Chris Paul and without Cam Johnson. And they let one slip away in Miami on Monday. So currently, they're favored by a point and a half against the Warriors, who are also great at home. But unfortunately for them, they'll be on the road where they are currently 0-7. Fun fact, by the way, Monday versus the Spurs was the first time this year that Steph Curry did not lead the team in scoring. He sat out one other game for rest, but until Monday, he had been the leading scorer in all 12 contests that he appeared in. So congratulations to Jordan Poole on his 36-point performance, lifting some of the burden off of him there. In general, I think that very good players and very good teams have Good responses to getting embarrassed. Colin Coward likes to talk about that a lot, and I very much agree with him there. The Warriors got embarrassed in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. It was Klay Thompson's first career ejection. They gave up a season-high 134 points. However, this is a different year where, despite the greatness of the Warriors' stars, they have really struggled in a way that people were not expecting. And Steph Curry is having to play incredible to get past teams that aren't necessarily at the top of the league. And the Suns have been one of the most frustrating teams for betting this year, at least in my personal experience. But I'm going to pick them to win tomorrow because I think they're far more comfortable in their own building and they know they just let one slip away. The Warriors' defense on the road is currently the worst in terms of points allowed. So it's hard for me to go bet on an 0-7 road team. I never want to be someone who counts out the Warriors, but I'm trying to practice betting with my head rather than my heart because I'm never going to fully flush out the betting with my heart. So just one time I want to try betting with my head and seeing what happens. I will say this, though. I wouldn't be surprised if Steph, Clay, and Draymond come out ready to fight, though. No, especially Clay Had a terrible performance got ejected, he's feeling the heat of a lot of people doubting him, including his own fan base. You never want to see that from one of the greats. Let's move to one of the teams we discussed in the Central Division. The Indiana Pacers will face the Charlotte Hornets. LaMelo Ball is back. It's nice for Charlotte, but in my eyes, one of these teams will be getting a somewhat high lottery pick, And the other team is overachieving. And after all that talk I just had on Indiana, I have no problem picking them over Charlotte. There are two concerns I have. One is that Indiana starts slow. They have a negative 5.3 point differential for the first quarter, which is the worst in the NBA. Another concern is that they are second in the league in points they get off of three-pointers, and just 29th in points off of two-pointers. So by their play style and their offense early on in the season, they can be a little all-or-nothing when it comes to the betting front. And that's why I generally avoid betting on over-unders with Indiana, and to be fair, most other teams, especially after what I just told you. But right now the Hornets are favored by two and a half points, so I really like this bet and would be willing to bet the Pacers winning straight up. Again, we'll have more information tomorrow, but at first glance, love me Pacers plus 
2.5, even if they're on the road. Then we have another central team going to play New Orleans. Bulls at Pelicans. It's a back-to-back for the Pelicans, but here's the thing. They are 3-2 and two against the spread when they have a rest disadvantage. It doesn't seem to matter for them right now. They are more concerned with themselves and their injury issues than they are their schedule. So New Orleans, they don't tempt a lot of threes. Before going into the Grizzlies game earlier tonight, which they won and had a fantastic fourth quarter, uh, they were last in three-point attempts, fewest in the league. So what do I like? Well, they're top of the league in fourth quarter point differential. It was plus 3.7 going in tonight, and they're only more in the positive after how they handled things against Memphis. And if I'm being fair on using that kind of metric, the Bulls have the second best third quarter point differential. So that's one thing that's going very well for them. Third quarter is super important, how you adjust coming out of halftime. During the Warriors dynasty, it was always, oh, the third quarter Warriors. You could be hanging in the first half, and the third quarter they would blow you out so hard that Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green didn't even need to play the fourth quarter a lot of the times. It was ridiculous. But Chicago is 25th in points per game off of three-pointers. So usually they're not a team you can expect to go and just blow you out of the water. They don't really blow teams out down the stretch. And I think New Orleans is good at hanging in there. So right now, I like the Pelicans, even with the rest disadvantage. And maybe they'll get Zion returning. Current spread is Pelicans minus four, which seems about right. Uh, Again, Vegas seems to know what they're doing. I would take them to win and cover because of their fourth quarter success and having a guy like CJ McCollum, who is just so incredibly clutch and a fantastic leader. But maybe the Bulls will be a little bit angry. I would like to take the Pelicans with the minus four. But keep an eye on that one, and especially on the Zion Williamson injury report. Three more games to get to, and then we're out of here. Cavs at Bucks. Two more central teams. We're hitting them all, except the Pistons. Uh, the Cavs, they're explosive, and the Bucks are stifling. It's opposites going face-to-face. Assuming Giannis plays for Milwaukee, I would take the Bucks because their defense is on another level, and they'll make it hard on a guard-heavy Cavs unit. That's been struggling over the past week. The Bucks try not to allow a lot of three-pointers. The Cavs, they want to blow you out with their three-point efficiency. Currently, it's Bucks minus 3.5. My only thing here, just monitor the injury report if you're going to bet because the Bucks have had a whole series of injuries, including Drew Holiday and Pat Connaughton. Rockets at Mavericks. Well, the Mavericks, Luka just hit a ridiculous dagger three on a broken play to top the Mavericks over the Clippers. Um, Mavericks feel like the easy winner pick in the Battle of Texas. Sorry, Spurs, you're left out of this one. Uh, But be careful about betting on them to cover. The Mavericks, because of Luka Doncic, or at least that is what I presume, and his greatness, can be a little bit overvalued at times when they are more or less a similar team to what they were last year. They're only 3-8-1 against the spread, and currently they're favored by 10.5 points. So Luka is incredible. I have no doubt that he will put up big numbers against a very bad Rockets defense. But I would be wary of this double-digit spread 
for a team that is so dependent on their star players' playmaking ability. Again, the Mavericks don't move it at the pace that a lot of other teams do. They don't swing the ball at the rate that a lot of other teams do. Fewest assists in the league, at least as of a week ago, and I'm not entirely sure if that metric is still accurate, but I can't imagine that they've climbed too far up the ladder there. I like the Mavericks. I would not bet them to cover the spread. I'd either say take the Rockets if you're feeling nice and fun and like 10.5 is a lot, or just consider it a very low return on investment and do Mavericks money line, throw it into a parlay. Celtics versus Hawks. Ooh, well, I really like the Hawks in general, but the thing is that they're not super efficient on offense right now. And if we've got a shootout on our hands, then that should really favor the Celtics. It's only Boston minus two right now, which is a small enough mark for me to believe that they should win and cover. But I'm curious to see if the Hawks can slow down the hottest offense in the NBA during this young season. Uh, my side note on the Celtics is it's so strange seeing them go from a top defensive unit to a top offensive unit over one offseason with the same core roster. Uh, I can't wait for Celtics-Bucks matchups this season, by the way, especially if the Celtics offense continues to play like this. I am really curious to see who comes out on top in those battles. And we're going to get our first of three battles between them on Christmas. So Merry Christmas to everyone, I guess. Uh, unless you go and end up losing money. So maybe just don't bet there. I don't know. That's like weeks ahead. You're good. Don't think about that. Over a month, and by then we're going to know so much more about the NBA and basketball. Man, it is done. This episode is run through. We've got our preview for games that are happening tomorrow. It's a big NBA Wednesday per usual and in addition, we have gone over the Central Division this point in the season. Right now, the Kings are absolutely stifling the Nets at home. And good for Sacramento for making use of a nationally televised game. They're up 30 points with three and a half minutes to go. And the scoring is getting spread around evenly. A lot of people in double figures tonight. Terrence Davis off the bench with 28 points. Sacramento, I said it last week. Uh, by the way, I asked my Kings fan friends who are very dedicated and have much more credibility than me in that subject. They said that they are optimistic, but very cautious at the same time. So that's going to do it for this screaming from the sidelines. We'll be back with more NBA, and I will have updated picks for you on Twitter. You might want to keep an eye on those because it earned somebody I know 125 bucks last week and maybe that magic will just continue for one more weekend keep hooping keep screaming and we'll be back with lots more content here on the believe podcast network Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.